Ecclesiastes chapter 6. This chapter and the last chapter have been a little, a little more difficult than some of the first few because it kind of jumps around and, and, and in the original language it's not, it's not obvious exactly what some of these things mean. And so your transli- translations are going to differ. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Our translations are going to differ on some of the wording and the, and the, uh, and the, and the structure and the way that, that some of these things are put together because it's not, it's not obvious in all of these cases what these things mean. And so we'll, we'll try to kind of get through these things and, and kind of jump around. And, and as I said last week, some of these things may tie together or they may just kind of be separate thoughts that, that the author of Ecclesiastes is covering here. Uh, but we'll talk about these things and kind of try to understand them, as, understand them as best as we can. We will attempt to get through the whole chapter tonight. It's only six ver- uh, excuse me, 12 verses, uh, and so we'll try to get through it all if we can. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit helps us to understand what we need to understand. Dear Lord, some parts of your word are a little tougher than others, and we may not always grasp everything 100%, but God, we want to try to understand it as best we can. So let us get what we can tonight from this and let your Holy Spirit reveal what needs to be revealed. Hide me behind the cross that I would preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you. I pray, God, that you just help me to have the words to say. Help us to be free of distractions and help us to give you this time tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1. Here is a tragedy I have observed under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. Again, we see this same language. Some of your translations there may say, here's an evil I've seen under the sun, or a tragedy I've seen under the sun. That is, bad things happen under the sun. Now, everything that we see is under the sun. When we look up, the sun is above us, and When he says under the sun, he's speaking about things that we observe, things that are on earth, things that we are aware of. And in fact, we are aware of many tragedies or many evils or many things that just don't seem right, that aren't good, that are kind of a bummer in this world. And he has has discussed many of these things that, that are kind of a bummer, that are kind of depressing, that don't seem fair. And here in verse uh, chapter 6, he's talking about these things yet again. Verse 2. God gives a man riches, wealth, and honor so that he is lacking nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. Now, this person that is being spoken of here, God has allowed them to have lots of riches and lots of wealth and lots of honor. They seem to be in a place of power and a place of, of abundance. And it's because God has blessed them with that. That's the case for anything that we have. No matter how little we may think we have or how much we may think we have. Whatever we have is because God has allowed us to have that. And we need to remember that. That there is nothing that we have done on our own apart from God. Now that's not to say that God doesn't bless those maybe that work. And that we don't work hard, we may very well do that. But ultimately, God is the source of those blessings. 
And God is the one who blesses us with whatever we have. And so it is here for this man who is rich with power and honor. He has a lot that God has blessed him with. But what does it say? But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Now what exactly that means, it's hard to know. In what way God won't let him enjoy him. Maybe it's just simply kind of the idea that we've seen throughout the book. That is that sometimes when you get the wealth and the things that you want, you realize that those things are still unsatisfying. If you're not seeking God, if you're not finding enjoyment in the Lord and the good things of life, even all the wealth in the world does not bring you enjoyment. Maybe that's what's being spoken of here. Uh, Maybe God didn't allow him to enjoy him. Maybe these things were taken from the wealthy man. After all, we see in the next verse, a stranger will enjoy them. Now, what does that mean in the context? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly what that means. Perhaps this wealthy man, God has given him wealth, and maybe as a punishment, he finds no enjoyment in that wealth, but perhaps someone else gets to enjoy that wealth. And so maybe there's some type of punishment here that God is bringing on this wealthy person that may not be seeking God and just seeking wealth. Uh, Maybe they just love the wealth and they don't find any satisfaction in that. That's true. Perhaps we have come to that realization before. There's something that we desire greatly and we got that thing that we desire only to realize that it it didn't bring us any enjoyment. And so Uh, Here we see the same idea that we've seen throughout the book. Oftentimes those who are rich and powerful uh, find no enjoyment in life, and indeed we will not either apart from God. And again, what does he say? This is futile. This is meaningless. This is vanity. It's just a bummer that this is the way life is. But in fact, it is the way life is. Verse 3. A man may father a hundred children and live many years. No matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not even have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Now, it's a blessing, of course, for a man to have many children. It's a blessing for a man to have wealth. But what does it say of this man? A man may father a hundred children and live many years, have a long life. It's good when you can live a long life and are still able to get around good, and are still able to hear and see, and kind of take care of yourself, to live many years is a blessing of the Lord, to have many children is a blessing of the Lord. But what does it say of this man? He may have a hundred children, he may live many years, regardless of his years, whether long or short, no matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things, and does not have a proper burial, okay, so it's possible that we could have all of the best things of this world. We could be blessed with children and wealth, and we could, we could have everything that we've ever wanted. But it, it says if the person is not satisfied with good things, that is, if you don't find any enjoyment, if you, if you have, but you want more, you're never satisfied, you're always craving, you're always craving, well, it doesn't matter how long your life is or how many children you have because you're, you're craving and desiring the wrong things. You're not enjoying the good things of life. We've talked about that over the last couple of months. Sometimes what we need to really step back and focus on is maybe just the simpler things in life and enjoy the good things that God has blessed us with. Maybe not, they're not the things that we really desire that we think that we need, but maybe the things that God has blessed us with are family, And whatever amount of wealth and possession we have, no matter how great or how small, 
Maybe we just need to find enjoyment in the good things instead of seeking things that may very well not be good for us at all. And so this particular person here does not enjoy any of the good things, does not find enjoyment in whatever good things that they have received, and they don't even have a proper burial. Now maybe that line there tells us something about the character. Maybe this person, whoever they are, obviously hadn't done much of their life because they don't have a proper burial. There's nobody that cares enough about this person to bury them properly. Now, what is a proper burial? Well, I guess you could, you could, everybody's definitions may be different. I mean, cultures are different. Everybody buries people in a different way. Some people are buried. Some people are cremated. I mean, customs are different and people have their own uh, preferences as to how they're buried. I don't know that it necessarily is speaking about a particular method of burial here so much as just honoring somebody. I think somebody who's honored with a memorial service that's cremated uh, is the same as somebody who's honored with a funeral service in a casket and that's buried in the ground. I think the idea is those who do good and love people and, and do right and help people are loved by people. And it's obvious to see the impact that somebody has by the turnout at their funeral. You ever been to a funeral and there are a lot of people there? You probably have. And, and, and probably most of those people in those situations are saying, man, he was a good man or she was a good woman. And so their life has been lived in such a way that even at their, at their, at their death service, they are being recognized. But not so for this person who seems to love their wealth and have had lots of things in the world but didn't find any enjoyment in any of the good things. And when life was all said and done, there wasn't even anybody around to celebrate his life. There wasn't even anybody around to give him a proper burial. So this is a bad, a bad place to be. This is an evil thing. This is a tragedy, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. Verse, uh, oh, at the end of that verse, excuse me, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Now, that's pretty strong language. Uh, what, what we need to make sure that we don't read into this passage is that the writer of Ecclesiastes here is not somehow suggesting that a stillborn child is a good thing. He's, he's suggesting just the opposite here. Uh, what a tragedy it is for somebody to live in this life and for them to receive the blessings of God and for them to have good things around them and yet they do not seek God, they do not acknowledge the blessing, they find no good in life and they don't live a good life. That's a tragedy. And what does he say? He says, a stillborn child is better than that person because a stillborn child doesn't experience all those things. A stillborn child is at risk from the get-go. They don't have to go through all these struggles. They don't have to do all of these things that this rich man who did not live a good life had to do. And that's what we see in the next verse. For he comes in futility and he goes in darkness and his name is shrouded in darkness. So the idea here is this rich person is, is living in darkness, living in futility. Everything is vain. Everything is meaningless. There's no joy in that. There's no rest in that. And maybe that's true for some of us. Maybe we are those who feel as though life is meaningless. And we are living in darkness. Because, not, because we're, we're living for the world. We're never satisfied. We're always desiring more. We're not enjoying the good things that God has given us to enjoy. But what does it say of the stillborn here in verse 5? Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious. It has more rest than heat. That is, it has more rest than the one who seemingly has lived an evil life. And so, if anything, there's, there's reassurance there when it speaks about a stillborn child. Now, that's a, 
that's a tragedy in and of itself, especially for those who are left, for the parent who has lost a child. I don't know that it really makes a difference whether the child is lost in the womb or whether they're five years old or whether they're 50 years old. I suspect that the pain for a parent losing a child is great in any and every one of those situations. However, for the child who, who, who never gets the opportunity to live life, you could say that in some way that's a blessing to that child because they get to escape all of the junk that we go through. Now, it's hard for us. I'm not saying it's easy for us who have lost children in that way. But praise the Lord, those children that, that don't live in this world but are taken to be with the Lord, that's a blessing for that child. And that's what he says here. The stillborn child has rest. The stillborn child rests in the Lord. But those who live in this world who do evil, there's no rest in that. There's no joy in that. There's no comfort in that. And so he says it, it'd be better not to even be born or to be born and die at an early age than to live a life that seeks to live for evil and seeks to deny who God is. And there are plenty of people in the world that do that. And perhaps, if we are honest, we are sometimes those people. Verse 6, And if he lives a thousand years twice but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place. Or some of your translations there say, do not all go to the same place. Now, he could in this particular instance, be referencing the rich man and the stillborn child, or he could just be making a blanket statement. Hey, at the end of life, all are going to the same place. Where is that? They're going to the grave. They're going to Sheol. That's the word that we see in the Old Testament. That just simply means to the grave, to the place where dead people go. And at the end of life, we're all going to go there. Unless Jesus returns and takes us up, we are all going to die. It doesn't matter how long our life is or how short our life is. It doesn't matter if you live a thousand years twice, for two thousand years, it does not matter uh, if you do not experience happiness. If you're not enjoying the good things that God has given you, but you're living in evil, then it's not going to matter how long or how short you live. Life is still going to be miserable for you. We don't want to be those who have a miserable life. No matter how many years we have, we want to use those years in seeking God and enjoying the good things that God's given us. And God gives us a lot of good things in this world. We may not always see it because we're, we're overrun with our stress and all the bad news, but there's plenty of good that we can enjoy that God gives us, and we want to make sure that we do that. Verse 7, All man's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. Now, this could be speaking, maybe using this language symbolically, his stomach, or just simply saying these are things that somebody desires. People work for what they desire, for their mouth, for their stomach, whatever they can get, yet their appetite is never satisfied. That is, no matter how much we want, we want, and we always want more. Uh, we talked about that last week. We need to learn contentment. That is, a, that is a great quality for us to strive for, that we would be content. Because if we are discontent, we will always strive for more and we will never get what we want. We will always want more. And it says here that those labor for what goes in their mouth or what goes in their stomach, yet they are never full. They are never satisfied. Now, it could be symbolic language. It could be literal language. It could be that, hey, this is the cycle of life. You get up, you eat, you work. You go to bed and you get up the next day and you do it. Uh, as the old saying goes, I dig the ditch to make the money, to buy the bread, to have the strength to dig the ditch. That's life, right? And maybe that's the same idea that the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here. 
This is life under the sun. You work so you can make money, so you can eat, so you can work, so you can make money, so you can eat. It's the cycle that goes on and on and on. That's what we do. But somewhere in the midst of that, I'm not saying that that in and of itself is a bad thing, but somewhere in the midst of that, we need to find that enjoyment in life. We need to find that contentment in life so that we eat and that we are satisfied, so that we have and that we are content, so that we don't focus on the bad, but we enjoy the good. So let us be those who find some contentment and some joy in life, and let us be those who eat and are satisfied. Who are those who eat and are satisfied? Those who are satisfied with the Lord, are satisfied with what the Lord gives them. And whether it's a T-bone steak or a bowl of rice, we need to find some enjoyment and be satisfied with what God has given us. Verse 8. What advantage then does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Now, here we see these, these, these ideas that, you know, what advantage is it to do good when evil people seem like they get, they get away with everything, right? We see that sometimes. But what's the point? We've talked about that earlier on. Here we see that same kind of idea. What advantage does the wise man have over the fool, right? I mean, we can be wise our whole life and then something bad happened. And we've, we've done the right thing and the wise thing, and the fool is foolishly all over the place, and it seems like that they, that they slip on a banana peel and flip and land on their feet. And we're as careful as we can be, and it seems like something happens, right? That's life. It doesn't seem fair. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Sometimes a wise person, bad things happen to them. Sometimes good things happen to a foolish person. But at the end of the day, we're all going to die. What's, what's the advantage? There, there, there is no advantage uh, seemingly in this world for, between the wise person and the fool. But for eternity there is wisdom, right? The, the wisdom of God, as we see in 1 Corinthians, is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That's the wisdom in God. That's the wisdom that we want to seek. And if we live in that wisdom, it may not have any payoff, so to speak, if we could use that term in this life. But it's going to pay off greatly in the life to come. Our reward, our, our blessing that God is going to graciously give us is going to be eternal life. Not by anything we've done. Not, by any, not because we're, we're, we're greatly wise because of something we've done. No, we've trusted in Jesus Christ because of what He has done on our behalf. What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Same idea here. Verse 9. Better what the eye sees than wandering desire. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Perhaps another way that, that we may could understand this verse, perhaps he's, he's speaking in these terms. Uh, uh, better a bird in the hand than two in the bush, right? You need to be content with what you've got and not, not seeking more. But we perhaps do this sometimes. We have what our eyes see, what's in front of us, what, what we possess, what, 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 is, what is at our disposal. And we should be content with that. But oftentimes we find ourselves wandering. We find ourselves with desires. We find ourselves fantasizing. And that's the idea that we've seen throughout Ecclesiastes. Don't get caught up in those things. Learn to be content with what you have and don't let your fantasies... Uh, mess you up because we can fantasize and desire these things that we want and we want to have and 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 
the realization is perhaps we'll never have those things, and that can be kind of depressing to us if we set these high standards on what we don't have instead of just thanking God for what we do have. Verse 10, Whatever exists was given its name long ago, and it is known what man is. But he is not able to contend with the one stronger than he. For when there are many words, they increase futility. What is the advantage for man? Now, this is kind of a, a, a difficult passage, at least for me, to understand or make heads or tails of. It, 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 it's not obvious exactly what that means, I don't think. Uh, but, but I think perhaps the idea here is that, look, everything that, that happens has been established by God. Everything that is, God has put into place, God has allowed, like it or not. It may seem fair or it may not seem fair, but who can contend with God? Maybe the idea there being like the book of Job. Job was a righteous man, he was a faithful man, and yet all these things happened to Job because God allowed them to happen. And as the book progresses on, what does Job try to do? He tries to contend with God and say, okay, God, what's going on here? And then God speaks and Job says, hold up, God, I'm sorry, I should have kept my mouth shut. You were right in everything that you did. And so perhaps that's the point that we need to get from these couple of verses here. Look, everything has been established by God. Everything that's going to happen is going to happen the way that it's going to happen, whether we like it, whether we understand it. It's the way it's going to be because God has established it this way. So who are we to question who God is? We can't contend with God. We could try like Job, but holy smokes, would that not be a scary thing if we were calling out God for something he did and he were to speak to us? We would respond just like Job did. That would be a pretty scary thing. So it'd be better for us just to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I may not understand it. This life may not seem fair. It may seem futile and vain and meaningless. But God, I'm going to trust you because you are good. Verse 12. For who knows what is good for man in life? In the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow. Who can tell man what will happen after him under the sun. We need to live for today. We can't worry about the future. Perhaps sometimes we do that. But who can tell us what's going to happen and tomorrow? Who can tell us what's going to happen 50 years from now? Sometimes you'll see people and they'll have some worldly possessions or maybe a home or a car or something that they, that they really love and they'll say, boy, I, just, I, I, I hope they take good care of this house after I'm gone or I hope they do this or oh, what's going to happen to my place? Well, who cares, right? That's a lot of worry that we don't need to worry about what's going to happen to our possessions once we're dead and gone. That should not even be on our radar. Nobody knows what the future may hold. Maybe the future may be great. Maybe the future may be bleak. But we need to live for today because, as Jesus says, worry about today because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. So we need to live in the day. And, of course, we keep an eye to the future. We try to be wise. We try to plan. But we don't want to get caught up in hey, what's the future going to hold? And let that be a, a source of worry and concern. Uh, because it may, it may be a source of worry and concern to say, man, the world's going to be really bad when I'm gone and people aren't going to take care of my possessions. Well, they may or they may not. But who's going to care? If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then when we leave this old world, we're not, it's not like we're going to be hanging around in heaven looking to see what's going to happen to our house. At least I don't think we are. I think we're going we're gonna to have much better things that we're going to be focused on. So let us not focus on what we see that's, that's, that's bad or what we assume may be bad, but let us live our life one day at a time. And as the end of the book tells us, 
when all is said and done, there is only one thing that matters, and that is to fear God and to keep His commands. And when we do that, it keeps everything into perspective. When we do that, it helps us to be content with what God has given us and focus on Him and the here and now and not be concerned about what tomorrow may hold, but know that God will provide for us today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for this chapter. There's some stuff here that maybe is a little tough or a head-scratcher, but dear Lord, let us not be those who live a, a full life, no matter how many years we have, but we don't we fail to, to find your goodness and enjoy your goodness, dear Lord. Let us not be those who live for wealth and things of the world, but find no enjoyment in them, because God, quite frankly, there is no enjoyment in them. God, let us be those who find rest in you, dear Lord. It's better for those, the Scripture says, that have rest because they haven't even been born than it is for those who live and live evilly. But even better than that, dear Lord, are those who are born and live for you. So let us, God, be those who live for you and what we do, that we make good decisions, that we trust you, that we seek you. Let us not worry too much about what the future holds, but let us seek to live for you as best as we can today. God, let us learn to be satisfied with what you give us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.